Good to see everybody. Shalom. Glad y'all are here tonight. Thanks for coming back. We had a little break last week, and uh, hopefully you had a, a little time to do some things. Hopefully you were off for at least a day or two with Mardi Gras and Valentine's and Super Bowl. Uh, some are saying that Monday needs to be the next, the Monday after Super Bowl should be the next big holiday, right? Uh, because most people call in sick the next day. But anyway, hope you had some time off, and uh, but thanks for coming back out tonight. Uh, for those of you who are not here uh, at our last Wednesday night, or maybe you've been out for a while, maybe this is your first time to be here. Uh, we're looking at a subject that, again, hopefully will explain some things to you that maybe uh, you found confusing, or maybe uh, there's some things that you never really understood, or maybe you had questions like, I thought this guy was a Christian, and, and, they, and they, they say they're a Christian, and, and, and I remember they used to be really involved in church, but now they're doing some kind of crazy things. You know, how does that happen? And maybe that's been a question you've had about friends or family, or maybe you have a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or someone, and that's their story. They used to be really involved in church, used to just love the Lord, and then something happened, and they're like, you know, are they saved, you know? Were they ever saved at all? And so these are questions we're going to be unpacking in this study of understanding the body and the soul and the spirit. So let's begin with a prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessings upon us. I pray, God, you will speak to us through your word by your amazing grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at the body, soul, and spirit. And so we started this study again a couple of weeks ago. And so we're going to do a brief review tonight in case you weren't here or this is your first time here. You've been out for a while. You forgot what we talked about. But Christopher Hitchens is basically was called one of the new atheists. And Christopher Hitchens uh, from Great Britain, I think he's a journalist, a writer. He wrote several books. One of his books is that God is not great. He's an atheist. Uh, he died a year or two ago from cancer. Um, so he's no longer an atheist. He, he's a believer now. But, uh, but that being said, uh, but he basically had a hard time with the concept or the belief or the understanding that we have a body. He, he was told time and time again from medical personnel, whatever, that we, that we have a body. And he goes, no, we don't have a body. We are a body. You see the difference? Because when people said we have a body, they were insinuating that there is a spirit and there is a soul that our body contains. And then, in other words, this body is an earth suit, but Christopher Hitchens, because he's atheist, uh, his only understanding of life was materialism or materialistic. Basically saying that atoms and subatomic particles and matter, that's all there is. That's, that's all there is. But yet and still, people like Eben Alexander, though I don't agree with all of his theology, I do like some of his scientific research, said that how can maybe a bottle have feelings? How can carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, which is what makes up your body and the subatomic particles, how can those things produce feelings and emotions and happiness and gladness and sadness and thought and appreciation of art and appreciation of music and looking at a sunset and love and anger? How do subatomic particles make up and create those things? And the, and the reality is the conclusion that people like even Alexander, a neurosurgeon, said they can't. So there's got to be something besides just matter that causes us to have these abilities. And so that's therefore a lot of people, even who are not Christians, will say there's something more to the human body or to the human experience than just the body. And so that's where the word psyche comes from, which means basically it's the Greek word for the word soul. 
And so psychology is simply the study of the soul. And so as a brief review, we're going to kind of look at some things we said a couple weeks ago. That again, the psyche is the soul. The soul is basically who you are. Your body, if you will, is your earth suit. Again, we know all about the body. You know, we need air. We need, you know, food, water, clothing, all those things. But your psyche, that is your soul. And so basically your psyche begins, first of all, with maybe your personality, and your personality tendencies or your personality disorders. In my world, I do a lot of work with people who have called what's called personality disorders. Maybe you've heard of some of them, like paranoid personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder or antisocial personality disorder, which with the person we used to call the psychopath. How is it that somebody can go and do all kind of crazy, horrendous, murderous, you know, egregious things and feel absolutely no problem. They can go out and do some very egregious things, hurt people, do you know, terrible things to people, and then go have you know, a cup of coffee and breakfast or whatever. And now, how, how does that happen? Well, that's because that's a part of their personality disorder. And so the point simply is this. Our psyche is our personality. Our soul, if you will, is also our temperament. You know, how is it some people are just naturally friendly and sweet, and some people are naturally melancholy and kind of... I don't know. It's such a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Why is that some people are that way and some people are, are just friendly and upbeat? Because that's a part of their temperament. And our temperament is something that we inherit. It's something that, again, is created also. Uh, but our emotions, where does love come from? You know, how is it that you can say to somebody, I love you? Where does that, where does that come from? Where does joy come from? Where does hate come from? Where do these things come from? Uh, feelings of sadness and happiness. Intellect, being able to think and comprehend and reason and calculate, and recognize, and memorize and verbalize and rationalize. Where does that come from? Emotional quotient, quotient being able to read patterns, social cues, profiling, uh, the will, hopes, dreams, desires. So, and the conscious and the subconscious. How is it that you're driving along and maybe a song comes on like Color My World? And you're going, I remember that song in 1979, you know, when I was on spring break. And all of a sudden, all those emotions and all those feelings and all the people that you were experiencing spring break with in 1979, that's a long time ago, right? I get it, okay. And far away. But, but, but all of a sudden, you weren't thinking about those people. You weren't thinking about that moment. But when that song, Color My World, came on, bada boom, bada bing, you're back there. Where, do, where does that come from? Now, again, Dr. Eben Alexander made it real clear. He says the brain does not produce consciousness, just the opposite. Consciousness is filtered through the brain. The soul also houses sin nature. The Word of God says, as man thinks in his heart, so he is. So there's emotional pain also. Uh, the person who said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was, was foolish. We've all in this room been hurt by people's words. People have said things that were hurtful and painful. Maybe a loved one, maybe a mom, maybe a dad, maybe a spouse, maybe a child. You know, when your son or daughter gets really, really mad at you, I hate you, I hate you. You don't go, okay, that's sweet. No, that bothers you. Down deep, that hurts you. Where does that come from? It's more than just subatomic particles at work. 
Emotional disconnect, we've talked about that. Delusional and being psychotic and dysphoric. So all these things basically make up what we call the psyche or the soul. And for the last 100 years, we have tried you know, to understand the psyche and the soul. Again, in the science of psychology, basically saying, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we behave the ways that we behave? Why is it somebody can get on a bus and kidnap 50 kids and do terrible things and not worry about it? And, and it's, it's almost as if they're, you know, supposed to do that. Who does that? Why do we do the things that we do? It's a study of psychology, and we understand that's basically our soul. But then there's a spirit, because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, if you want a scriptural reference real quickly, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved, complete without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible makes it real clear, we're a triune being. We have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body. So we talked a little bit about the soul. Now let's go in to talk about the spirit. Again, this is review from last week. Uh, the word soul, uh, soul or spirit, I should say, the word spirit in the Greek is pneuma, or in Hebrew it's ruach. It simply means air or breath or wind. Uh, and the word of God says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, again, this is still review, that we were born spiritually dead. We were born spiritually dead. Now we have a body, and we have a soul, but spiritually, we're born dead. And this is one reason why Jesus talked about, we'll unpack this some more in a moment, talks about the rebirth or being born of the Spirit. Um, the Word of God says that the Spirit produces revelation and insight and understanding uh, of the things of God through prayer, through Bible study. Uh, again, uh, the Spirit, we'll talk about this more in a moment, is energized, if you will, by love and worship and service and fellowship. And, and so, again, the Spirit gives us power and energy, uh, again, to connect with our Heavenly Father. And so, again, the Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And these are all things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going kind of fast. So if you want to unpack this some more, we can. But um, tonight's study begins with the Spirit. So the Spirit is that part of you that communicates between you and God. Your body interacts with the world, okay? You see things, you hear things, you know, you have to eat, you know, you go to work, you get tired, uh, you know, your soul interacts with those around you emotionally, but your spirit is what connects you to God. Bringing blessing, bringing conviction, bringing warning that again, that again, leads to your soul and body. That also affects your soul and body. Uh, spirit gives life. John 6, 63, uh, the word of God says, and Jesus says that again, it's the spirit that gives life. So Jesus talks a lot about life, life abundant, life eternal. And so now we're going to unpack this a little bit again and the importance of the rebirth. Something you've heard, hopefully you've been to church a lot of quite a bit, but John chapter three, if you have your Bibles, turn there for just a moment to John chapter three, as we see Jesus talking about the importance of the rebirth or being born of the spirit. John chapter three, uh, if you've been around church, you know this scene, you know this situation, you know this, uh, this narrative, if you will. Let's just unpack just for a moment. John chapter three. So the background is it's, it's night. Jesus has perhaps done some teaching. Uh, he's done some amazing things. Uh, his life and his miracles are being heard and seen around. And now all of a sudden, John chapter 3, it says, 
Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this guy is smart. He is a part of the Sanhedrin. He is a leader. He is a ruler of uh, the Jewish people. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's going, look, I've been around. I've been around. And when I see people who are born blind get their sight back, and when I see people who have never walked in their lives start walking when you touch them, and when I see people who maybe have been struggling with leprosy and you touch them and they are as whole and as well as they can be, I don't, I know something's up. And I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm trying to figure you out. Because I know the Bible. You see, most Pharisees pretty much had the entire Old Testament, the Tanakh, put to memory. And he's going, we've been waiting for the Messiah. I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on, but I do know this is not a, a normal, average, everyday, you know, walk in the park kind of day. You're, you're unique. So he comes to Jesus by night saying these things. And Jesus basically does what Jesus always does, and that is he goes straight to the heart. He says, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, some translation says born from above. Some translation is born of the Spirit. But read on. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Now, many translators and many commentators are now in this next few line is basically saying that now Nicodemus is going into some sort of sarcastic moment. He says, he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So Nicodemus is thinking only physical. He's only thinking physical. You want to talk about birth? Great. We know about birth. We know how babies come into the world. We know about birth. And so you're talking about being born again. What are you talking about? Going to your mother's womb? What, what's this all about? And Jesus continues on. He says, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, again, that word spirit there is capitalized. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. So it's, again, I truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, again, please understand, and I've heard some people, and if you want to believe this, that's fine, but the word baptism is never here. I mean, so many people say, anytime about baptism here, there's nothing to do with baptism here. The word baptism is nowhere to be found in, in this conversation. We're talking about birth. And we're talking about the rebirth. Verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Got it. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So now Jesus is making a distinction. There is a fleshly birth, okay, that we have all experienced. Just, just look around. There is a fleshly birth. You, you, you are born, I was born, you were born, no one found you floating down a lake, you know, underneath a little, you know, flower. Your grandmother may have told you that, but that's not how you came here. You were born physically. And then it says, that was one of the spirit of spirit. And then he says, do not marvel, verse 7, that I said to you, you must be born again. 
And now he, now he kind of breaks it down. He says, here's his illustration. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes, where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, he's making it clear that the Spirit, uh, you can't see it anymore than you can see the wind, but you can definitely experience it. And that was the point I think Jesus is making here. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus, and I love how Jesus does this, basically says, Dude, <laughs> that's a loose translation, but you get it. It's in it. Dude, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Come on. Where have you been? Basically what he's saying. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things, you do not believe. How shall you believe I tell you heavenly things? And so basically what he's saying here is this. He's saying, that, that this rebirth, this born of the Spirit, is a crucial part of who we are. He's saying, here's how crucial it is. Number one, you won't even be able to see the kingdom of God. You will not be able to see what God is doing. You won't be able to see who God is. You won't be able to see him at work. You will not be able to see his kingdom on a spiritual level. You won't be able to even see his kingdom on a physical level when Messiah comes back and reigns and rules in his kingdom as he said he would because you're not born again. You're not born of the Spirit. Because being born of the Spirit, again, is that crucial part of who we are if we're gonna connect with God, who Jesus says in John chapter four is Spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So again, it is the Spirit of God that now provides for us, if you will, eternal life. Because he goes on to say how one is born of the Spirit. In John 3, 16, he says, here's how you're born of the Spirit. He says, you know the verse, you heard it when you were in third grade. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, but whosoever believes in him does not perish, but has everlasting life. Now, what he's saying here is this, this is how you are born of the Spirit, by believing in the Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son, that God the Father sent. Now you're going, is it that easy? Is it really that easy? Absolutely, it's that easy. As a matter of fact, in John 6, 47, he makes it even easier than that. Turn there for a moment. In John 6, 47, Jesus goes just straight to these words. He says this. I love this verse. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in him, parenthetically, has eternal life. There it is. There it is. You don't see the word communion there, baptism there, joining a church there, working hard there, repenting of all your sins. As a matter of fact, I believe in repentance. We'll be talking about that a lot this Sunday morning. But you realize the word repent is not found in the Gospel of John? It's not there. The word repent is not found in the Gospel of John. But the word believe it's found throughout the Gospel of John because that's where salvation is, believing in Jesus as the Messiah. Now, what happens is this. The moment you believe, something amazing happens. You come alive spiritually. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17, when you become alive spiritually, something amazing happens to you. You are now, for the first time ever, for the first time, you're now made aware of the things of God. 
You're now made aware of the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God, the salvation of God, the forgiveness of God, the adoption of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I love this verse. It says this. It says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What just happened? How does that happen? Because if you are spiritually dead and now you become spiritually alive by believing in the author of life, and by the way, wherever Jesus went, whatever Jesus taught, he always used that little word life to kind of tag upon himself. I am the resurrection and the Life. I am the way and the truth and the life. John says, in him there was life, and the life was the light of men. So he comes along because he is the Messiah. He is life, and whoever believes in him has this amazing life. So what happens is you've gone from being spiritually dead to now spiritually alive. And because now you're spiritually alive, you're going to start seeing things differently like you've never seen them before because now you have this life. You see people differently. You see God differently. You see marriage differently. You see your family differently. You see, you know, church differently. I got I to gotta confess, and I, have, I think no pride in saying this, but you, you'll understand. Uh, there was a time in my life when I didn't, going to church really... I mean, I would rather watch, you know, paint dry. Do I have any testimonies here this, this time? I would rather watch paint dry than go to church because I was spiritually dead. But when I became spiritually alive, I couldn't wait to go. I'll never forget, I had a relative that, that very, very close to this relative, when I went to, to visit with them or whatever, and it was a Sunday morning, and, and I, was getting, I, was, I was at a conference, and I was visiting with them on a Sunday morning. I said, I got to go to church. They go, you're off. <laughs> it's not a job. <laughs> it's something that I want to do. It, 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 going to church is like, you know, getting up hungry, wanting waffles, wanting to go to Waffle House, amen, or... Or, or, or IHOP, you just want to be there. You're just hungry for it, you know? When you have, you know, this, this desire for waffles, you just, you, you don't go to, you know, spinach shack, you know? You, you, you go get some waffles. And so, so the point I'm making is that it, it, that's what the Spirit of God does. When the Spirit of God is alive inside of you, there is this amazing desire to connect and to fellowship with God and to, with other believers. And so, so the point is, is that, if you are a new creature because of this new birth, you're going to see people and things differently. Life and love and marriage and people and Jesus and salvation and eternity and heaven and hell. In other words, all of these things become a reality to you. They weren't a reality before. And it's okay because you, me, we, are spiritually dead. 
Now, we heard about these things, and, and we tip our hat, and yeah, 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 I know, and, and we'll go to church, and it's Easter, and, and we'll, we'll do our duty, you know, and, 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 then, and then when you got born again, it's like, it's not a duty, it's something I can't wait to do. And, uh, you know, my wife was raised in, in a particular brand of Christianity, Roman Catholic, let's just put it out there. And so, and she said for her, for her, going to church was a duty. You just did your duty. And when you came home, you said, thanks be to God, let's get out of here. We did our duty. And now let's go get some sinning to do, Okay. That was basically how, they, how life was lived, you know? And then you go back and you do your duty all over again the next Sunday. But when she was born again, when I was born again, it changed everything. It wasn't your duty. It was like, wow, this is, you know, we... We get to commune, we get to hang out, we get to worship, we get to, we get to hear from the living God who created the heavens and the earth. And so that's what Paul is saying here when he says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now I love this next verse, or this verse down at the end of this chapter, verse 21, just a little, little bonus here. It says, verse 21, he, talking about Jesus, he, or talking about God, he made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you hear what Paul just said here? Paul just said here that the Messiah Jesus made heaven easy for us to get into. Because again, in order for anybody to get into heaven, in order for you to get into heaven, me, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, no matter who you are, in order to get into heaven, and we've said this before, but feel free to use this, there are two requirements to get into heaven. You know what they are, right? There's two requirements to get into heaven. You must be perfect and you must be sinless. That's it. That's it. We're good. You gotta be perfect, absolutely perfect, absolutely sinless. That's it. Good news of great joy, right? Well, that leaves me out. Because if you've been around me more than 36 hours, you know I'm neither one of those things. Maybe 36 minutes for most of you. <laughs> Maybe 36 seconds. Okay, can we go there? Okay. I am not sinless and I am not perfect. So, so heaven is, I, I'm not getting there on my own. On my own, I'm not making it. On my own, nobody makes it. But notice what happens. Read this again. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, meaning he takes all of our sin upon himself that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is a trade-off. He takes all of your sin and gives you all of his righteousness. Little sound effects here, right? You have, you receive the moment you believe all 
the righteousness of the Messiah. Now, you don't feel righteous, and I don't feel righteous either, but you know what? You received it. And in, this, in return, he takes all of your sin and puts it up on himself. Because you see, it's not about feelings. It's about what he has done, what he has accomplished. When he said on the cross, it is finished, it was finished. He had taken all of your sin, and whoever believes receives all of his righteousness. Now you meet the requirement. You're sinless because he's taken all of your sin. If he's taken all of your sin, what does that mean? You're sinless, okay? You're sinless. Tomorrow when you sin, he takes that to sin. Tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, that thought that just went through your head just, that, just then, that thought, yeah, that thought, mm-hmm, that thought. He's taken it. You're sinless. In return, he then clothes you with his righteousness. So when God sees you because you're a believer in him, he sees his only begotten son. And now you are fit for heaven because you believed in the one who is life. And once that reality hits you, once that reality just kind of takes over your heart, you realize one thing. There's nothing that I can do to add to that. So here's the big question I always get. So Mark, what's our motivation for doing right things and good things? What's our motivation? Our motivation is that he took all of your sin and gave you all of his righteousness and you want to live out your life for him. You want to live out your life, you know, pleasing him. You want to live out your life doing for him. Not because you have to, because you have to grit it out, or because someone's going to send you to hell if you don't. No, you do it because you want to. You want to. Because you're in love with the Messiah. You're in love with your creator. You're in love with the one who loves you so much he would die a thousand more deaths for you if that's what it would take for you, but then once it was all needed, but he would do it for you because he so loves you. That's what happens at the rebirth. Now, Romans 8, chapter 6 says some things that, again, we need to look at real quickly. Romans 8, 6. If you want to turn there just for a moment. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Land, are you on it over there, back there? Look at you. Romans chapter, I didn't even have to tell her. She's just on it. That's just, that's just how Landra rolls. She's just, she's just on it. Romans chapter eight, verse six. Now, again, here, here, this is what's important to note because I meet so many people and, and, and you've met these people and I've met these people. And they're sweet people and they're good people. But there, I meet a lot of people who don't understand that you cannot have one without the other, meaning the Son and the Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. If I'm a believer in Jesus, if I'm a believer in Jesus, then the only way I can be a believer in Jesus and the only way I can do anything uh, in the name of Jesus is because of his Spirit living within me. But I've met certain groups and certain denominations, certain people who want to separate them out. And I'm going, no, you can't have one without the other. You can't have, if you have the Son, you have the Spirit. You have the Spirit because you have the Son. And Paul, I think, speaks to this in Romans chapter 8. It says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. 
Now, again, that word mind is another word for the word soul. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So the point is this, the moment I believe in Jesus, his spirit comes to live inside of me. And because his spirit comes to live inside of me, I see things differently. I see life differently. My decisions that I make are going to be different decisions. Um, real quickly, we've got time. Go to John 16. Here's what Jesus said about this. Back to John, John 16. And then we're going to give an illustration as to how this works. John 16, verse 7. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says here about this Holy Spirit. He says, verse 7, John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, look, guys, I'm about to leave. Don't, don't get upset. Don't despair. If I leave, I'm going to send you a helper. And they're going, okay, what does that even mean? He says, verse 8, and when he comes, he, talking about the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So one of the things the Holy Spirit does is convicts you of sin Convicts you of righteousness, convicts you of judgment. It's the Spirit of God that convicts you of sin and says, you know what? What you have done is wrong. Now, here's what we're good at. Maybe I can speak for myself. Here's what we're good at. We are good at defending our sin. Well, let me tell you why I lied. I lied because if I said that, you know, that dress makes you look fat, you'd be upset. Let me tell you why I lied or whatever, Okay. We want to defend our sin, okay? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I did that. Let me tell you why I went over there. Let me tell you why I took that. Let me tell you, let me tell you why. We're good at defending our sin. But the Holy Spirit comes along and says, no, what? No, 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 no. No, what you did was wrong. You are a sinner. I don't, I'm offended by what you said. Well, it doesn't matter if you're offended. Get some therapy. The reality is you are a sinner. You're a sinner, and the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. And finally it dawns on you, yeah, I am a sinner. I have, again, done terrible things. I have done things. I'm not comparing myself with the Bourbon Street drunk anymore. I know that I am a sinner. Then it goes on and says this, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. And you begin to realize, if I don't turn to Jesus, I will stand before a holy God one day in my sin. And that's not a pleasant place to be. As the word of God says, you don't want to be a sinner in the hands of an angry God. And that begins to work on you. It goes on. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. Concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. I have many more things, verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me. So what Jesus is saying is this, the spirit of God, when the spirit of God shows up and comes into a person's life, 
He will convict a person of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will guide that person into all the truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth, and Jesus is truth. Whenever the word truth is used in the Bible, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. So the Spirit of God will always bring you to Messiah Jesus. The second thing, John 17, 17, Jesus says, thy word is truth. So the Spirit of God will always guide you to the truth, who is Jesus and his word. And then it says, the Spirit of God will glorify him. The Spirit of God does not glorify himself. The Spirit of God brings all the glory to Jesus. Read it for yourself, verse 17, 14. He shall glorify me. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So when we gather as followers of Jesus, what happens is we are here to glorify him. Now, real quickly, here is where many begin to go, but I, I, I used to be a, a new creature. I get that. And I used to follow Jesus. I had this friend. I had this parent. I had this loved one. I had this son, this daughter. What happened? What happened? So I'm going to give an illustration that's probably not going to be a very good illustration, but kind of bear with me. Uh, I've got some associates who are going to have this illustration. And here's how this So let me just have Freddie and Annie first. Freddie and Annie first. Okay. So they're going to face you. There's my illustration. So Freddie is the flesh. Okay. Annie is the soul, okay? All right. So here's what happens. Can y'all see down there? We're good? Okay, all right. So what happens is, Freddie's the flesh. So all of a sudden, Freddie's interacting with the world and something is said and it hits the flesh. The flesh then processes what's going on and goes to the soul. The soul goes, hey, that felt pretty good. That looked pretty good. That sounded pretty good. I want more of that, you know, uh, whatever, you know, want it, need more of it, whatever. Okay, and that's how, the, that's how the soul begins to think. But there's no spirit here, right? Spirit's dead. So what happens is the soul processes it and tells the flesh, okay, I think we're good. So far, so good. Now then, uh, Rhonda. Rhonda's going to be the spirit. So the moment you believe in Jesus... The spirit comes alive, okay? Now, 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 here it comes. The flesh sees it, processes it, hears it. The soul, man, goes, hey, I don't know how to think about it. But the soul now passes off to the spirit. And the spirit goes, I don't know, I don't know, and tells the soul, you better rethink this. And the soul tells us to the flesh, okay, you know, we're not, we're not going that direction. You see how that works now? Then here's the thing, here's the thing. So, so, we, so here's the thing. Y'all can be seated. No, I'm sorry. Y'all look great. Okay. Okay. Just want to give that illustration. So here, here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. If the spirit that's alive, like anything else that's alive, it needs nourishment. What's true for the soul is true for the body, is true for the body, is true for the soul, is true for the spirit. Okay, that's a, that's, you know, that's a universal principle. What's true for the body is true for the soul. Your soul needs to be fed. That's why we read books and that's why, you know, we interact with one another and that's why we share. That's why we speak and communicate and love and talk and, and hang out and fellowship and all these things because your soul needs love and to give love and to share love. It's a part of who you are. Your body, you know, you need food, but your spirit needs it as well. Now, what feeds our spirit? Well, real quickly, worship. Worship. 
Worship feeds and strengthens your spirit. Don't raise your hand, but when there's that moment in church when you are just worshiping the Lord from your heart and you walk out of here, most of you will say to me, maybe later on the way, I felt so filled, so full. I felt good because you were worshiping. What's your spirit's getting what it needs. Also, when you are receiving teaching. Again, Acts chapter two talks about the teaching of the apostles. When you have fellowship with each other and you're hanging out and you're talking to one another and you're encouraging one another. When you pray, when you witness your faith and share your faith, when you have accountability and confession, when you have personal Bible study, when you wake up that morning or go to bed that night or whatever, somewhere in between, and you take a few moments, just you and the Lord, Jesus says, go into your room and close the door and then get along with your heavenly father. Five minutes, 15 minutes, 55 minutes, five hours, whatever you can, that is going to do something to your spirit. When you have this sense of repentance, God, I really need to change that. God, that word keeps coming out of my mouth all the time. Every single time I think, or God, I, that person, I just, eh, I don't like them. They don't like me, but you know what? I need to repent of that, whatever that may be. But when repentance is a part of your life, when you walk in his grace, when you have an attitude of love, the point is these things feed your spirit. But if you're not doing those things, if you don't worship regularly, if you leave that Bible on the shelf, if there's no accountability in your life, if there's no fellowship. Guys, come back up real quick one more time. My players. Holy Spirit, Rhonda, come on up. Come on up. Okay. What happens is this. Here comes the, here comes the situation. Boom. The soul is dealing with it. Let's get down, Rhonda. A little bit more. Put your, put your arm out. You can't reach her. There's no connection. You're too weak. The Wi-Fi is not making it, if you will. You're out, you're, out of, you're out of sorts. Why? Because it's a weak, weak spirit. Still spirit, still alive, still saved, still going to heaven. But it's, it's weak. Let me sit down, I'm sorry. Thank you. It's a weak link or whatever, yeah. Spirit's still there. You're still going to heaven. You're still alive. Spirit's still there. It's just a very weak connection. And this is why that friend of yours that used to go to church all the time and they quit going. They went to college and they got to the professor. There's no God. I quit, you know, or whatever. Or something happened. There's a question they couldn't answer. You know, why is there all the evil in the world? And I get all of it. You know, or, or someone happened, or someone disappointed them, or somebody ran off with their secretary, or whatever it may be, and, and they're just really upset, and, and they just quit, and just kind of gave up, and they're still saved because they're spiritually alive, because they have that moment when they believed in Jesus, but they don't have enough power to pop popcorn. And that's what happens. And that's why, and, and here's the thing, no one wants to be there. No one wants to be spiritually weak, emotionally, psychologically weak, or physically weak. Nobody wants that. We're vulnerable. We're fragile. We have no confidence. We have no energy. We have no real purpose. We feel defeated and deflated. And this is why, again, the Word of God talks so much about 
you know, worship and prayer and Bible study. It's like your doctor, like your nutritionist saying, you know, you need to eat the right foods. You need to get the right amount of sleep. You need to exercise. If you want to live an abundant life, a, a healthy life, these are the things that you need. And this is why I cringe when someone says, you can be a Christian and not have to go to church. Okay. Okay, I mean, maybe, but, but let, me, let me ask you, how effective are you going to be? What are you doing for the kingdom? When you stand before God, how's that, how, how is that statement going to go for you? When, again, we are called to be the people God's called us to be, to do the work God's called us to do, and to serve the one who saved us and who took all of our sin upon himself and gave us all of his righteousness so that we can make a difference in this world for the time that he gave you. Here's an amazing thing, and we'll close. Amazing thing is this, and you may not believe this, and that's okay, but I will argue and I believe that it is not an accident, not an accident at all, that you and I are here in this moment in time in history for a divine plan and for a divine purpose. And the people that God brings into your life right here, right now, is there because of a divine appointment. And if you've got the strength and the power and the energy and you begin to understand and your spirit is alive and when something happens, you know, in, in, to your body or whatever, and it comes into your soul and your soul process and your spirit goes, hey, okay, you know, let's, you know, let's re... And your spirit is so strong. No, we're not going there. You need to rethink that. That's how the Spirit of God works mildly in our life. And that's why Bible study and worship and prayer are so meaningful and so very important. So this is the story of the body, the soul, the spirit. We're going to talk some more about spiritual gifts a little bit more next Wednesday as we unpack again what God has given us, body, soul, and spirit.